Many years have passed since a fellowship of light battled the shadow creature at the Grey Haven. Now the heroes find themselves in an unknown land where they discover a man in black is wreaking havoc. Undeath follows him wherever he goes, and long-forgotten legends rise again having been possessed by his evil. Join the players of this Dungeons & Dragons campaign as they attempt to stop the man in black as he collects artifacts both on and off the Lonely Isle. Welcome to Tolerasia in part two of the Inglorian Bastards trilogy, Rise of the Mormon. So, so this was another thing that you talked about. It had to do with point of view and how... Oh, the least knowledgeable character. Yeah, 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 exactly. What, what did you call it? The um, epistemic regime is reversed. So, yeah, and, and epistemic regime is. In, I didn't make that up. That's like a. It's an annoying English professor term, um, but it it basically means that every every book really had this this uh, organization of of knowledge, right? And we we as readers figure this out pretty quickly. Um, whether it's a fairy tale or, um, or or a modern novel, modern novels play with it sometimes. But generally, we sort of know. We know who knows what, right? We know because of the point of view, it's a first person, um, and the person is sort of pretending that they don't know how this comes out, or it's they, they know how the whole story comes out, um, and they're still telling the story, uh, or we're getting the point of view filtered through different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sort of the, the standard move is, you know, we call it third person limited omniscient, right? So it's from somebody else's point of view and they know some of the things going on but they don't read everybody's mind uh or or something like that so that's pretty just standard lit crit stuff i i think my my contribution in that is just to recognize that in almost every case in the lord of the rings the focalizing character is the one who knows the least Right. Which is not normal. Like, it's the, the normal regime. Now, this is actually very normal in children's books, I will say. That's a trick that children's authors use, right? Because then they can have this kind of wide-eyed and surprise. You know, their children children narrators are always surprised when people do crappy things. Or they're, uh, or they're not surprised when, like, a magical creature pops up and saves them. Well, this, um, is, this is actually why I bring it up. Because you mentioned um, ha- having to figure out these things in the story. And it, and it, it re- kind of reminded me of... of being a child again and sort of and i think you mentioned this in your lecture about having to um kind of learn like you did when you were younger um along with the characters right this this whole because the characters don't know as much um you're kind of learning along with them is that is that yeah and 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 my kind of assertion which uh you know this should be like i tell my students all the time when i say one of these things they put an asterisk and say wacky drought theory because it's not you know mainstream but my assertion would be that when you're learning along with a character it's actually the only time that you and the character are feeling exactly the same thing because if the character's thirsty you don't feel thirsty like you think about thirsty mm-hmm. right you can even trick yourself a little into it if the character's in pain but if the character's learning the character's brain and your brain are doing the same thing mm-hmm at that moment. And I, you know, it's probably because Tolkien, you know, he was a professor and he was a father and he, um, you know, he gave things, performed things out loud to his group of, of friends. And in each case, then like they're, they're learning about the, the world and the story and they're making the connections that you're supposed to make to understand it. And sometimes those are just what you can get from context, like the cats of Queen Berufiel, mm-hmm. right? Where Tolkien didn't even have the story written when he said that. Like, that's just flat out, like, well, okay, they're cats. They must see in the dark. I get it. <laughs> um, and notice, right, then he never has Pippin go, the cats of who? 
You know, it's, it's like, it's just that that's part of the lore of the world there. And other times, it's, it is stuff from the Silmarillion mythology uh, that's, that's sort of percolating up through the story. And it's that, like, that, that deep and consistent backstory that actually makes the whole, um, that makes the Lord of the Rings different, though now that's, of course, what everyone imitates. Like, when you go to, the, my students, some of them have gone to these workshops, like, how to write your first fantasy novel. And it's, like, not even, like, design characters, but it's, like, it's, like, start making up your Bible for your world. It's very D&D, right? It, it is totally D&D. It's start making up your Bible for your world. Like, you know, you can do the, the geography and the geology and the, the biomes and the plants and this and, and build all that up because then it'll be, it'll have that, and this is the impression of depth, I think, it's an underlying consistency yeah. and not just, and this is, I've read, I mean, you know, because I, I don't, I don't encourage this because there's there's no market for fantasy novels right now because it's just flooded every, so many people have written them um and my students you know if they if they bring me one they want me to help them get it published i'm like i couldn't tell you how to get my own published if, yeah. if i had it you know it's <laughs> like it but um it's usually like the chapter two the te- the treatise of tedium um of a bad fantasy novel which is the information dump yeah yeah and i mean tolkien does it a little bit in shadow of the past but if you notice how he does it he at least makes it dramatic he's clever about it right frodo has to actually drag the information out of gandalf Mm -hmm. i i think it works pretty well because you as the reader again you become like frodo right like you're grasping at little pieces and and you just instead of saying okay here we go and now we're having a lecture on the elder days um oh how many kings were there 37 oh and you're gonna list all of them yeah. wonderful um <laughs> instead you are like come on gandalf give me give me more information here i want to know about this dark lord and why do you keep saying things like someday i'll tell you all the story yeah and that's a good trick but it's still a trick and it's still that you need that but i think that the least knowledgeable character um makes that makes tolkien's more artful and th- where i came up with that was i noticed that there's you know the focal character is almost always a hobbit which would make sense because they're usually the least knowledgeable except in the beginning of the two towers where it's Gimli. Right. And that makes sense because Gimli's never been in that part of the world before. Mm-hmm. And Gimli doesn't know what's going on. And it's, you know, and the only other time is like when Gimli narrates a chunk of the Paths of the Dead story. And even then he's like, and at this point, um, I don't know what happened. I have to tell, have Legolas tell the story. And Legolas like, well, I didn't really understand what was happening because I don't understand the ghosts and things. <laughs> it's almost it's like so consistent that whoever has the least knowledge is focalizing the story so therefore it feels natural that the creator of the story is giving you this background information yep. well i you know we, we've talked a lot about um lord of the rings and the hobbit um as i mentioned i'm a big Silmarillion fan uh, <laughs> and, and and you know you've talked a lot about turin tonight i, I talked a lot about turin um, and, um, if we could, um, when I had Corey on the podcast, we played a little game and we, we kind of talked a little bit about what was going on at the story up, at, up until that point. And, and I, and I mentioned some, some liberties that I had taken where I kind of extended the, the things that Tolkien had written about, um, things like I created something called Durin's March, right? Which was this, this account of, you know, it was kind of like the freedom trail in Boston, right? Where, where, <laughs> when, when Durin woke up in, in Mount Gundabad and, and sort of made his way to the mirror mirror. It was the it was it was not necessarily the path that he took, but it was the pilgrimage route that dwarves took 
um, to, oh, I love that to, to sort of yeah and so so we, we we talked about that a little bit and he and we you know whether that was something that could could be legit uh, um, or whether it wouldn't work in the context of the lore so 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 bringing all this back together we're, we're at a point in the story now where um, obviously this is about a D&D campaign where um, and and the characters have have just um, they've just gotten to the um, uh, the Tower of Pearl, where inside of the Tower of Pearl, we we know that there is this sleeper who 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 isn't really identified. Although uh, I've heard that Christopher Tolkien maybe thinks it's Idriel. Um, but mm. um, oh, that's a neat point. Okay. Um, so so I don't think anyone has ever really identified who the sleeper is. Of course, I took liberties, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and because this is all leading up to the dagger Dagorath, and Turin is in that prophecy. Um, the sleeper uh, in this case for me was Turin Turinbar, and then and the first question you would probably ask is well. Turin Turinbar isn't in the Tower of Pearl, so how is he the sleeper? And so, uh, and my answer to that uh, is, uh, well, there, there was a there was a pool in the Tower of Pearl that would uh, would answer um, to um, the desires of your hearts, um, it, both in, in terms of location and in loved ones. And um, the characters traveled from the Tower of Pearl to the Stone of the Hapless because they had been told. Uh, this the second prophecy of Mandos about the dagger Dagorath and about Turin Turinbar, and so they they go to the stone of the hapless um, where they where they where they realize that Turin Turinbar has been awakened, and so he is a sleeper no longer, um, and so so Turin um, is kind of a a very pivotal. Not only is he one of my favorite Tolkien characters, but he, he's a very pivotal character in in the Dungeons and Dragons campaign that I'm that I DM'd. So, so if we are going to play the game, I guess um, I'd love to ask you a question, and, and and maybe we could just talk about whether whether this could happen or whether this doesn't fit really in the in the in the sort of mythos. Does, does that work for you? Yeah, we can. Let's see. Okay, so um, so the first one uh, is when, when they're in. Um, so the the men of Brethel had turned the stone of uh, Talber, stone of the hapless, Tolmorwen, whatever you want to call it, um, into kind of like a. A, a series of catacombs um, because they didn't want people coming in to steal the relics of Turin, and so the characters get there, and um, when they when they discover the ter- the tomb of Turin is is empty, they they also discover uh, an elf that that's in the catacombs, sort of still being Turin's caretaker and friend, and that is Nellis, the Lady of the Woods, um, who came to his rescue when people were accusing him of. Of murdering and uh, one of the um, one of the uh, one of the elves, um, and and um, so so here she is, and she kind of explains sort of what had happened, and um, and she's still sort of kicking around. So tell, tell me, I mean, is is could Nellis still be hanging around? I don't. I, she's an immortal elf. I mean, she can sort of do what she wants. Um, <laughs> I I mean, I guess that. So when is the, when is this happening? So this like, is, is this hap- in the, the beginning of the fourth age. Yeah. So so that's that's, okay. al- that's also something else that we could, could kind of talk about is um, in my campaign when when characters travel across the straight road, whether whether it be via the Alora Male or um, the Path of Dreams or or uh, on one of Kierden's ships. T- time doesn't. It's not like oh, I'm gonna just like sail for a couple of weeks. It's like they, they sail, and then sixty years later, right? Not really. It's not been sixty years for them, but the time is not 
just like, oh, you know, the sun's going to come up and it's tomorrow. The sun's going to sure. come up. And- I mean, that's that's pretty uh, normal. I mean, and Tolkien has had, Tolkien, there's stuff like that, that with Fingal and Melian and the, the night. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm not in disagreement with that at all. Okay. Okay. So, so, so when they, um, each time when, when the characters travel across the straight road, and then this will be, um, uh, so they, they, they first came across from, uh, when, um, at the end of my, the, the first part of the campaign, they had to sort of go to the Lonely Isle. So that's about 60 years, right? So we were, <clears throat> we were, at, uh, we were, at, um, right after the last meeting of the White Council when we first started. Um, and about 60 years after that, um, and then, then they came to the Stone of the Hapless, went into the pool, traveled to the uh, Tol Morwen, 60 more years. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're, we're looking at um, right around the beginning of the Fourth Age at this point. Um, or so I, I I don't see why like you couldn't have Nelos there because you know that's the thing is Elvish time goes differently and especially if you're if you're linked in you know if you're building this into with with a prophecy um, and and the elves seem to know more about those sorts of things I can absolutely see her devoting you know herself to the the, the care of the tomb and and being there I mean I, I don't think that there's any real lore problems with that at all okay okay and and you said the passing of the time is 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 uh, something that uh... yeah there's there's plenty of things like when they're in Lothlorien and it takes a month longer than they realize and um, there's even there's a real question and we have nobody's really straightened this out but there's a time discrepancy in the timelines in Shelob's lair and we've got an article submitted for Tolkien Studies that I liked a lot, but we just, for a bunch of reasons we weren't able to publish it, and I think somebody else did, that said that Shelob was sort of like the anti-Galadriel, and time moved faster oh. in Shelob's lair, um, or slower, I forget, whatever it was, it, it accounted for the discrepancy, um, which is which is interesting. So, I, yeah, the different time flows, I think that's totally legitimate. I mean, the, 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 especially when you're interacting with elves. Awesome. They they just do time differently. You know that's what Legolas says, right? The the years pass both faster and slower for us. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the, the, I mean, I guess the other the, the last thing that I would ask you about was uh, again uh, we're at Paul Morwen, and um, so it, it's about the, the dagger that I called. Um, uh, what, what did I call it? I called it uh, Hathadol, um, which in talking with Fiona Jawlings, who's a Sindarin expert, I realized I butchered, <laughs> I butchered that name. I, I wanted it to be um, in reference to uh, Sador's uh, lame foot. He was called La- yeah. La- Labadel. So uh, I, I tried to name it something called Foot Cleaver. Um, uh, well, of course, <laughs> I, I butchered that name. But um, so so we, we know from, from the children of Hurin, uh, uh, the story of Turin, that, that his father gave gave Turin a dagger it was an it was an elven made uh, elvish made dagger and um because Turin loved Sador so much he he and and really that's all Turin had to give he gave Sador this 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 knife this dagger and um Sador kept it with him uh, grudgingly at first but then came to love it obviously and when Turin left and the Easterlings kind of took over um that area um when Sador finally passed I said in my story Sador, uh, sort of Morwen kind of took the knife, and when she finally came to the Stone of the Hapless and sort of died there uh, and was buried in my story, the, the knife that came from originally probably um, Dor Loman would be, right, or, or, mm-hmm. uh, or Gondolin, yeah. Gondolin maybe, um, um, you know, some sort of, uh, it was an elf dagger, ends up with, with my characters that, that are in my campaign. They, they find it in Morwen's tomb. Um, uh, 
is is that something that's possible or is or is um I, oh i i i mean it, it sting sting right sting right if, if we don't have a backstory for sting interestingly it's just a, a glowy gondolin sword knife it was just a knife right but it was as good as a short sword for a hobbit that ended up in the troll trove with the Right. The sword of the you know Turgon's sword. How did the trolls plunder you know Turgon's corpse? Somebody did, right? Or somebody found something, or somebody saved it in a positive way, and then the trolls robbed them, and it passed down and passed down. I mean, and and what from Gondolin to um, what did I figure it out? Erigian, uh, the Erigian ruins are six thousand years old, yeah, or something like that when they walk on them. So Gondolin, I mean. Obviously, there's a way for artifacts to survive for tens of thousands of years. Well, there's there, there's in Middle Earth. There's actually uh, speculation online, as you can find it anywhere, <laughs> uh, but that that sting was actually Sador's knife. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I I just you, that's the nice the fun part about all this. Right. Is you right. make up a, a story. Um, and I, I don't know any of the Sting speculations. I imagine there's some good fan fiction then that would figure that out. There's different... Uh, one of the things that I really liked in Lord of the Rings Online was one of the quests that you had to do there was to get some like made-up random stone so that the elfsmiths, when they reforged um, Broken Narsil into Anduril, could could do it. Oh, right. It was a great quest. There's a, like a giant killer turtle that spawned millions of little baby murder turtles. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, and some of those, those things are always a little bit silly. But they're it, like the, the, that's the and that's why I mean, at the beginning when we before we were recording, we were talking about like you know, I I made D and D campaigns in Middle Earth when I was in you know high school, and like that's what you want to do. You want to explore it, and by explore, it's not just like the physical. I, I did. I wanted to go all those places. I still do. Um, but it's it's also to explore the story, and it it. it, it works so well as as a complex realized world that that you know the, the fan fiction that we do when we create and 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 add to it um you can say you know there are things in lord of the rings online that that i think oh that that would be perfect i mean tolkien must have thought that way and then you re then you see like the way he came up with stuff and actually probably it's too simple even the most complicated things yeah that we um that we come up with that he would have, you know, seven different other layers there. But it's, uh, no, I, I think that that's, I, I had my, I was just looking at it. Uh, my, you know, middle earth thing, you had, you're finding the Ellen Dilmere and the LSR and the scepter of Anuminas, which would sort of indicate that like Aragorn's tomb got plundered or even more like what happened to the current King of Gondor who should have those things. Yeah. yeah. Or were they stolen? But that actually, that's what makes a great, you know, a great campaign. And, and there is something special in Tolkien, like that these artifacts that's, I, I've done some work on, and, and we have, we're publishing a piece of the new Tolkien studies should be out in the next, it, it's already available online. It should be physically available in the next week or so. And, um, the lead article is about Tolkien's treasures and idea of treasures and museums and hordes and places where treasures are displayed or, um, are gathered and and there's I mean think about how many people that you know have pre Peter Jackson made a wizard staff oh, yeah. or a file of Galadriel or um, a costume piece or something like that 
And that's really weird for literature. You don't see like people making like, I don't know, I don't know what you'd make for Hemingway or Faulkner, I guess, like a, <laughs> a, a, a flat mansion or a drunk guy, yeah. or <laughs> big dead fish, maybe. Um, but like, the, you know, that, that, that wanting to have like he, the way he comes up with these incredible artifacts and you want to touch them and see them. And, um, and, and, and so like the, the D and D campaign is another way to do that. Like, I, I think in the end, I, I said this before, like we, we all want to go to middle earth. Yes, we do. And we'll go there, which we'll go there. The reading is the, you know, the, in some ways the most immersive way, just because you get to create it in your brain exactly as you think it should be. But, uh, you know, between the movies and the go to New Zealand tourism and the people doing cosplay and creating little bits of Middle Earth or the people building hobbit holes. Verlin Flieger has this whole thing where she, all these hobbit holes for sale. Like, and I know someone who, her husband uh, passed away um, and his, like, you know, his, he said, go now, go build the hobbit hole you've always wanted. Oh. And she has this gorgeous, like, house. It's a house, not a hole, but I mean, it's got a, got a round door and it's all inside, you know. Like that, lots of coat pegs. Yeah, we <laughs> want to be there. Yeah, yeah no. you know, and it's and the Silmarillion the same way. Like I want to walk over that little rise and see the seven gates of Gondolin and everything. Yeah, um, lined up, or go to Nargothrond, or um, see the rainbow cleft. Like I, I, I and, and you know, so Ted Nasmith brings these things to visual life and. And Peter Jackson films them, and Lord of the Rings Online makes them, and eventually we'll have an Oculus thing where we can wander around it. But D&D lets us go there and do stuff. Yeah. And do stuff that's on our own. I mean, obviously shaped by the Dungeon Master, but but still more than just like following a script. And I think that's, in the end, what... You know, Tolkien was an artist, and there's all the IP and copyright and this and that. But in in the end, you know, his story, Leaf by Nickel, is about the dream is to make a, a sub create a world that other people can go into. And I mean, he did it. Yeah, he did. That's the that's the great. I mean, he, he writes this up as his you know his this allegory, clearly the only super personal allegory thing he ever wrote. And it's it's basically heaven is being inside your own painting and inviting inviting other people to come and join. Fine. And like, damn, if that's not exactly what he's done. So, uh, so, so if I could, um, this is a good place for me to sort of, um, I'm going to, I'm going to quote you, um, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and this, this will bring us full circle. So, um, so in your, uh, in your talk at Carnegie Mellon, they, uh, you, you, you answered this question. How do you read Tolkien? By paying attention to the ways that different features of his work combine to produce and transform sadness. Not into bitterness, but into something richer, greater, something fully human. Reading Tolkien this way, you see the true scope of his achievement to touch the heart, and you understand how much more fully Sam's words, well, I'm back, are both joyous and heartbreaking. I, I thought that was a, a nice way to end. Yeah, I think I'm not going to do better than that improv improvising. <laughs> uh, no, well, I, I just, I, the Lord, it's, you know, it doesn't, I, I teach it every two years, and it doesn't get old. It doesn't get old to read it. it doesn't get old to talk to students about it. And the, the best students are, like, the ones that I cherish are those who've never read it before. And, like, I had a student, I'm not making this up. This week, Maybe we can end with this story. I had a student whose name is Lorian. Huh. Right, her father named her Lorian because of the Lord of the Rings. Sure, and she'd never read it. No, she'd always refused <laughs> for whatever reason. And then she became my research assistant. Oh my! <laughs> so she had to read it, and then she's like, "Oh my gosh, why did I miss out on this for so long?" 
and she's just about to have her first two young adult novels uh, published. Wow. But just like that, you know, the, that student was a great student to teach because as she's reading and she's like, now I understand why my dad loves this so much. And now I understand, um, you know, even why I was named what I was named. Yeah. And um, it's, it's kind of a kind of a great experience as a teacher to get to work with people who are seeing it for the first time. And then the people like us who are seeing it for the 50th time, but are still seeing it in a different new way. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well I, I think we could probably talk about this for another four hours. But uh, well, I, I just wanted to say thank you for for coming on uh, the podcast, and uh, maybe we can talk again sometime in the future. Absolutely, it was my pleasure. Uh, well, this could be maybe our, our blooper reel, but um, uh, so when Corey was on the show, he, he said that you gave him such a hard time about the, that definite article, the Tolkien <laughs> professor. So I was wondering if, if you had to, if you had to create your uh, podcast, right? If you're starting up a podcast, the Michael, the Michael drought, uh, whatever podcast, what would the name of your podcast be? And you have to include the definite article. I have to include the definite article. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, geez, <laughs> that's a good. That's a good test. I have like names for for things that I want to that I want to use and or that I have used. But like, what would I be? Jeez, I'm trying to think of something that's that's like not totally obnoxious either. But um, it can be obnoxious. I think that would <laughs> that would be even better. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, if I was really being obnoxious, my, my answer would be, uh, like, it wouldn't have a definite article, would be, it would be just called, like, I told you so, but you wouldn't listen to me. Um, it, I mean, it needs, like, to be one of those, like, exasperated Gandalf, um, you know, like, throw yourself in next time. <laughs> Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose.